Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. I hope everybody out there is having a great week. This week, we're going to talk to Ben Eubanks, who will also be speaking at our Work Human Conference, which is only a month away. Um, Ben is going to be talking to Sarah about AI, artificial intelligence, and how it's going to affect HR in the future. Will we be replaced by robots? Who knows? Probably not, as you'll hear Ben's thoughts on this. So hopefully you enjoy this interview with uh, Sarah Payne and Ben Eubanks, and hopefully you are joining us next month at WorkHuman in Nashville. I'll be there on site in a glass cage of emotion um, doing some interviews. Hopefully you'll uh, say hi. If you want to know more about the event, visit www.workhuman.com and enjoy this conversation with Ben. So Ben, I'm really excited to have you on WorkHuman Radio. And I thought we could start, if you could just give us a little bit of background about you and your new book that just came out. Absolutely. It's awesome to be here, Sarah. So I am... Uh, I've been working as an analyst in the HR technology space on and off for probably 10 years now. And at the very early part of my career, I was actually an HR professional. So I spent the time in the trenches, doing the practical, hands-on things, for better or for worse. Like I have that experience. And so it's fun to draw on that and combine it with some of the research to help inform the opinions and everything else that I have on the market. And as you mentioned, just last year, decided to do a book about artificial intelligence and how that's going to impact the HR profession. It's one of those things that I'm, I'm really passionate about. It brings together two things that I think are, are kind of critical. It's not just the technology, right? There's some really cool technology out there and it's not just the people. We can throw human effort at things and, you know, grind away at it, but really there's a place where both of them meet. We get the best out of both. And that's what the book is all about. Yeah, I'm sure um, a lot of people, our listeners have heard about it, and a lot of them have heard about AI. You know, there's no shortage of articles and buzz about that. But I think the challenge is a lot of times it is uh, this abstract idea. Um, so what do you think is the biggest misconception in the market about AI? Probably the biggest misconception is that we're all going to be out of a job in 10 years. I mean, we probably shouldn't be having this conversation right now. We should be brushing up on our resumes, right? Because we're going to be out of work. All the robots are going to replace us. That's what we keep hearing. And it just, so far, the data is showing that's not going to happen. It will change jobs, yes. Some jobs will no longer be here, yes. However, it's some of the experts are now saying that we may have more jobs coming out of this than there were before it, just because of not just maintaining the algorithms and all other fun stuff, but the jobs themselves will change fundamentally. And so mm-hmm. it's interesting. The AI that I talk about in the book is not this, you know, it's not the sci-fi movie thing where it can do anything and everything, mimic a human. It's about really narrowly defined purposes and finding ways to use that for things like recruiting people who fit your culture, just trying to find that, or using an algorithm to uh, drive a bot that, in- in- that helps to engage your workers. Right? It's not just about replacing the humans. It's about augmenting our abilities and helping to fill the gaps that we know exist between what we know we should be doing and what we're actually doing. So it's about complementing technology with human potential. Yes, absolutely. There's a fun story that I tell about 
a recruiting competition that happened um, a year or two ago where they pitted recruiters against an algorithm to see who could recruit better. And they're and like I'm, I was so curious to read about this and figure out who won. And ultimately, ta da! You know, celebrate a human won the competition. He oh, beat out the algorithm. Yes, yes, we we're clinging on to our you know, to our jobs for a little longer. He beat the algorithm. Uh, kind of Randy Bailey, he's a sorcerer at Walmart. He um, was able to match out of five thousand resumes, match the three people to the jobs that they were actually hired for. A pair of people came in second with a couple correct guesses, and the algorithm came in third. All the other contestants came in behind the algorithm. But the thing is, it took Randy, when I talked to him, about 30 to 40 hours conservatively to get his estimates and to get his answers kind of figured out. It took the algorithm less than four seconds to get its guesses, and it came in third place. But the thing there is, right, it's not a balance of either or. It's an and solution because I'm sure Randy would have rather have had 39 hours back in his week if we could have spent a few seconds letting the algorithm make a shortcut and letting him tweak it and change it based on his own human creativity and the, the things that he brings to the table and let the machine do the heavy lifting. So it's not really an either-or solution. And those conversations about you know it's, it's going to cost us jobs and being very black and white, they're not taking that into account that there are things that they can do that we don't even want to do. I don't mm-hmm. know about you, but sifting through 4,999 resumes to find the one person that I want is not something that I want to spend my day doing. If I could have an algorithm help me with that and then shortlist it and let me look, look at those and figure out which ones are the best fit, like that really excites me. And there are lots of ways these things are happening within the workspace and the, within the HR spectrum that, again, excite me so much to think about their capabilities. And that example that you just brought up also brings up the idea of diversity and inclusion. You know, if you have AI helping with sifting through resumes, you know, could that potentially help with addressing bias? Um, If you could explain a bit about how AI AI can help in that area. Absolutely. So it's interesting because there's two different pieces to this conversation. The first one is I will be the first to admit that AI can be biased. If you develop an algorithm and it's based on a history, historical data that is biased, guess what? The results, the predictions, the outcomes, they're all going to be biased based on what you're putting into it. The algorithm, they're developing tools now that can actually find those kind of things and weed them out. But in general, when you're developing an algorithm based on those past bad decisions, the algorithm is not going to just suddenly make you smarter and better. It's going to help you to do those other decisions even faster. It's going to automate those things. And so... You've got to make sure, number one, you have an unbiased data set you're training the algorithm on. But the next piece of it is absolutely, if you have that in place, it can help to remove those. Um, there are some really interesting new assessments in, in the market that do not require you to look at someone's facial color or listen to their tone of voice and things like that to be able to pick whether they're a good candidate or not. Um, there are other tools out there. Here's an example of a real company we all know. Um, love them or hate them, they're, they're out there. So Uber uses an interesting algorithm to schedule its shifts, to set its pay rates for all of its drivers, completely gender-blind algorithm. And they went through and did some research to see if drivers at Uber, if male and female drivers made the same amount because they figured, hey, it's completely blind. The algorithm doesn't take into account who you are. It just opens the shift up, and you can grab it if you want it. So they're hoping to find that it was a level playing field. Ultimately, what they found was that it was not. There is still a gender pay gap at Uber for their drivers. However, it's about half of what you find in the open market in terms of a pay gap. This is about 7% versus you know, the estimates around 15% for the open market. And the thing there is like 
they didn't solve it, no. So you can call it a failure if you'd like, but I call it a success that they're doing better than almost every other company out there at trying to level that playing field. And that's an example of how using an algorithm can enable equity, can enable, enable parity between you know, your gender, your diversity, like any sort of those factors you're looking at. AI can help with those things if it's being used the right way. So it's a step in the right direction, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So what did now? Could you explain more about why that gap still existed? Did they figure that out? So that, of, of course they figured that out. And as the like nerdy scientist <laughs> person that I am, I was like, I've got to know what this is. Yeah. And so it turns out there were for everybody out there that's equally curious, there were a couple big things. Number one, ta-da! This surprises no one. Men drive faster. And so on an hourly basis, men can pick up more shifts than women can because they drive up, you know, up to 20% faster. Wow. The no, no thing, surprise there, though. <laughs> yeah, no surprise there. The second one, though, was an interesting thing. They had to look deeper into their data set to find out what the answer was because they were like, why are men taking these shifts and women not and taking other shifts? And they found out that they were taking different types of shifts at different times. And what they found was men, on average, are active on the Uber platform as drivers for a longer period of time. You know, maybe they drive for 5,000 hours versus women only driving for 3,000 hours. What they found is there's an interesting tipping point where once you've got enough experience on the platform, you start to realize, hey, that, that shift, you know, that looks good on paper, but that road is congested. It's going to take me twice as long as they're predicting. That's a bad you know, drive. I'm not going to pick that one up. I'm right. going to take this one over here because it's more lucrative. Or I'm always going to hang out at this hotel or around the airport or around whatever those areas are or I'm more likely to pick up people who are going to tip. And so they learn about those kind of things the longer you're active on the platform. And again, men are active on average more time, and so they're more likely to pick up those more lucrative shifts than women are. So again, it could be that now that they've highlighted that, maybe they start recommending to women just as much, saying, hey, by the way, you know, maybe you should take this shift because of this reason, or maybe you should think about that and start giving them some in-app contextual recommendations for which shifts to take and not as a way to kind of, again, level that playing field so that women are not at a disadvantage for the information they have on hand. Well, that's fascinating. <laughs> so we're, we're definitely taking steps forward, but there's still some way to go, I think, in integrating AI. <clears throat> um, do you have an example of a company that's already using AI to help humans flourish, as we talked about at the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. So I read this story last year and was really interested in it. There's a, there's a pizza you know, restaurant that's based in New York City, and their HR leader realized, like pretty much every HR leader that you and I know, like, hey, I can't be everywhere all the time. And one of the things that's important for HR leaders, again, I'm thinking back to my own experience here, educating, coaching, developing our leaders isn't just about making them a better leader, but it's about making life better for every single person that reports to them. If I can make you a better leader for those five or ten people under you, it makes their lives better. And so they went out and they found a vendor, they found uh, a really cool company and started using a chatbot that actually enables the managers. So here's, here's how it works. Again, showing you like the nuts and bolts here. The chatbot will look at performance ratings where they're reviewing their managers. It looks at employee survey data, and then it will crunch that and figure out, hey, Ben, you're not very good at delegation, but Sarah, you're not very good at casting a vision for your team. And so once a week, it'll say, hey, here's what I'm finding in all this feedback. I'm going to recommend a piece of training or content. You know, here's a TED Talk from Simon Sinek or some other kind of resource to help you close that gap. 
be better at that thing that you're not very good at. And again, it's customized and tailored to each leader, so they're getting that thing that they need most. And what's interesting is there's a feedback loop obviously built in. So if I'm telling you, hey, you're not good at delegation, and next time we have a survey or next time your your employees you know do an upward review of you and talk about how you're doing, if they still mention like you're terrible at delegating, then that's a signal that the company needs to think about. Like maybe this person isn't a good manager and they need some more more hands-on support, and that's a signal for the HR leader to step in there. But in terms of just those regular everyday like, oh, I didn't realize that was a gap, and I'm going to get better at that. Thank you for that coaching or that training or that that support. And they're starting to close those gaps. It's really exciting to think about the employees that are under their care having a better leader, having a better experience at work, and all those positive things that are associated with that, all the good business outcomes of having a happy and satisfied workplace. That is really what excites me about some of the tools that are um, in the market today. It's interesting to think about those small little interventions that can make a difference in the long run. Um, and and that also reminds me of I've been reading a lot about micro learning and um it, it almost sounds like in that example creating that consumer like experience in the workplace because if you think about outside of work if you're scrolling Instagram or you're you go shopping on Amazon like they already know what you're looking for so you know if you think about your workplace you really don't get that same experience but um, perhaps with AI being more integrated, we will start to get that consumer experience. Yes. Yes. I was going to say, like, so when people ask me, like, what is AI? I don't want to get really in the weeds because we're not programmers. Like, unless mm-hmm. you're a closet programmer. You're a closet nope. programmer because okay, <laughs> no. not either. I'm a business leader, and I care about the practical applications of it. And so when I talk about it, I give them three big things I'm looking for when I'm looking at an AI app. The first one is automation. Does it automate something that – is easier to automate than to have human grunt work just grinded out. The second one is augmentation. Can we find a way to augment the things that we're good at? Maybe like the the Uber example a minute ago, as a driver, if it's augmenting my awareness by giving me a little bit of information contextually so I realize, oh, that's a good idea. I should probably do that. I wouldn't have thought of that myself. Like that's the opportunities for augmenting the capabilities of humans. And the last one is what you were talking about just now. It's personalization. How can we make this employee experience, this candidate experience, like this experience we're creating around this person feel personalized and tailored and highly individualized so that they walk away feeling like, wow, they care about me. And it's not about hiding behind the technology and you know trying to just shift all that off so that it's completely automated because there are stories on the dark side where companies have automated too much and they're taking the human out of things. So there's a balance there for sure, but by creating that more personal experience, it really – creates the opportunity to engage people in a way that we've always wanted to, right? I want to spend all day recognizing my employees and coaching and developing them, but I have a job to do as a leader, right? And so that gives me the opportunity to scale that up in a way that creates that better experience for them, creates better results for the organization, and so on. So obviously there's a lot of opportunity, but I'm also interested somewhat in the dark side that you just mentioned. Any examples of companies that have gone too far? and what we can learn from them. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I just talked about a positive thing for them, but I'll talk about Uber again. Um, And again, this is not a a condemnation of them, just an interesting example of what they're doing and some of the the responses from employees or from people that work for them, I guess. So if you sign up as a driver for Uber, you don't talk to a real person. You are run through workflows, you submit documents, everything else, but it's all virtual. You never have an interaction. You never talk to someone on the phone. 
And I don't know about you, but every time I've ever hired or onboarded anyone in my entire life, they have a question about something that is not covered in the, the documentation and everything else right. to provide them. They're, they're curious about something. Well, you can't ask a real person. If you're like, hey, I'm not sure how this pay thing works, you can't ask a real person. And so about a year or so ago, a pair of economists did some research on this because they realized that there were some weird fluctuations in pricing in the Uber, Uber surge pricing where you know on a Friday night when everybody wants a ride and there aren't enough cars, the price goes up by demand, and it helps to level out level out who's, who's riding and who's not. And what they found is that Uber drivers were getting so upset that they had no way to have a human conversation or to get some sort of you know support in a human way that they were fighting back against the algorithm. They would organize on social media and say, okay, Friday night at 6 p.m., we're all going to switch our apps off, and we're going to let someone else keep their app on and watch for surge pricing to kick into effect. Once it kicks in, we'll turn our apps on, and we'll all reap the benefits of that higher payout. And it's, it's their way of trying to regain some control over the employment relationship. Again, this all ties into like engagement and the pieces of how we treat people every day because if you consistently ignore an employee, they're going to do something to get your attention for better right. or for worse, often for worse in this example. The other thing they would do is they would accept an Uber pool ride where you have to pick up two or more people. They get a higher payout, higher commission for that. And then they would just ignore all the other people that wanted to ride along the route. And so they get the higher payout. They deliver that one passenger, completely negating the whole purpose of having an Uber pool ride. But again, they're trying to regain some control in that relationship. So it's an example of don't automate everything too much because then people are going to look for a way to get that attention. They're going to look for a way to regain control. Try to balance out the humanity in it or you will see some, some negative consequences. It is negative consequences, but it's also kind of awesome to think that humans can kind of outsmart technology in yeah, that way. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So uh, so we're really excited to have you speak at Work Human in March, which is, I can't believe how close that is. Um, so can you give our listeners just a quick sneak peek at your session and what they can learn about? Sure. So there are three core components, and some of the stories I've told today will be wrapped into the broader conversation there, but there are three core components. The first is what AI is and why it matters. I mean, we're, we're not scientists, so I'll keep that light, but I want them to be able to answer the question when their CEO comes to them and says, hey, what's this AI stuff? How does it apply to us? HR is in the ideal position to be able to answer that question and help the company figure out what's going to happen next because, again, it is going to affect jobs to some degree. There are already tools out there automating some things, and it's important for HR to be at the forefront of that, not to find out later, oh, by the way, we found some technology that's going to eliminate 20% of the jobs at our company. HR figured that out. Like You don't want to find out then. You want to be leading the conversation at the forefront. Okay. The second piece is about practical applications within within HR, diversity, recruiting, like these things that tie into how we can be more inclusive companies, more human companies, really practical examples and case studies for how that applies. And then lastly, we're going to talk about what's honestly I think my favorite part. We're going to talk about in the 12 months of research for the book, I found that there are some core human skills that are that are going to be very important, not just today. Like you'd want these things in someone you're working with today, but in the future, they're going to be even more important because they're things that automation, AI, algorithms cannot easily replicate. So we're going to look at those five core skills of the future, how to develop those in yourself, and how to develop those in the rest of your people. That'll definitely set us up for success. Absolutely. I'm excited about it. It's going to be fun. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I will see you in Nashville. I'm looking forward to it. Have a good one. 
If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at WorkHuman March 18th through the 21st in Nashville. Visit WorkHuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2019. 